0: This is Diane Godfrey. This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. If you need legal representation, please consult an attorney. I do not have a law degree. Over the years, many people have contacted me seeking legal advice. I am flattered they elevated me to having a JD, which is a law degree, but I am not qualified to dispense any legal advice.
1: This is All Rise with Diane Godfrey. True stories from inside the courthouse, from the lady who wrote everything down. Warning, this podcast contains adult content that some may find disturbing.
0: Hi, Len. Hey, Diane. This is Diane Godfrey. Len, I'd just like to introduce you to the crowd. You're my brother. You are... Undoubtedly a huge fan of court stories, usually was sitting around your kitchen sipping wine and I'm telling you the stories. But due to COVID restrictions, I thought this would be the next best thing to have you on the podcast. So I've got a really good one for you today.
2: Well, I'll tell you it's one of my greatest joys, and it's strange to say because some of these stories are not exactly happy stories, but I'll tell you it's amazing to me to hear them. You know, you come in, you're like, you're not gonna believe. But I saw this week and this is definitely one of those stories where, you know, it's not something to they can't believe that this actually happened. Right. I kind of
0: gave you the bullet points, but now I'd like to fill you in. This is a story about a grisly murder. And this murder has haunted me for 10 years. I can't shake it from my psyche. I, it wasn't even a murder trial. It was what's called a plea. It didn't have a full-blown trial. It was 40 minutes of my life listening to what went down one day in East Boston, Massachusetts. And it has shaken me to the core for many reasons.
2: Well, I think when you when you told me a little bit about the story, and then I, I actually looked up this story I think and tell me if this is accurate. I think the reason it struck you so is that it's cold. It's calculated. He doesn't deny it. This happened. There's all kinds of transparency. There's no shroud here. And then you look at the guy and you're like, that can't be the same person who did this.
0: Exactly. If you took 20 people in a row, 20 men, and said, pick the guy, if I told you the story, and then I said, pick out the guy that did this, the last person in that 20, you would pick. This kid was so clean cut. He was 17 years old at the time. 17.
2: Tell tell us the story. So who who is this guy? How did it happen?
0: Well, it happened on the morning of May 23rd, 2011. So it was a good 10 years ago. The Boston Fire Department responded to a report of a house fire in East Boston. And the house consisted of two apartments, or so they thought. This guy's name that was murdered was Galdemez. I just can't get it off my tongue. Galdamez. And he lived in an illegal basement apartment in this dwelling that the fire, you know, the fire department showed up at. So they show up and they easily put the fire out and everybody gets out safely. But when they went into the cellar, you know, there they discovered that there was an illegal basement apartment and they saw a body. So they started to carry the body out of the cellar. And when they got into the daylight, they were shocked because they saw that the body, first of all, it was a dead body, but it was wrapped in duct tape. So they went back and they put the body back where they found it on the bed. They called the police department and the arson squad to begin an investigation.
2: Didn't he have, like, his head was wrapped in duct tape? It was kind of weird. Like, his head was, and he was, like, wicked burned. Like, a hell of a lot more burned than it would have been from the fire, right?
0: Exactly. The thing was... You know, if you fast forward, the medical examiner finally got involved and determined he was, in fact, dead prior to the fire ever being started. So it was clearly a homicide.
2: Man, can you imagine being a fireman and you go in there, it's bad enough there's a fire and you go in there, there's this charred guy all duct taped up and like, someone set this dude on fire?
0: Well, yeah, come to find out he was not He was a 28-year-old, as I said, his last name was Galdamez and he was an El Salvadorian. He had been in the United States for about 10 years. The backstory of the whole thing was... The Flores family, they were also El Salvadorian. They lived in East Boston. They were very close to this victim, Galdemez. There was a 17-year-old kid, also El Salvadorian. He was part of the Flores family. He lived nearby. And they both kind of had a hard life. So this kid, Marco Flores, as I said, he's El Salvadorian. He lives in a small town in El Salvador. And his father up and leaves when he's about three years old. And then his mother leaves for the U.S. And she leaves him, Marco Flores, in the care of his 14-year-old brother with a promise of she's going to send for him someday, which she did. Now, think about that trauma. His father, like, leaves. He's three years old. His mother goes to the U.S. And, you know, she probably didn't have a choice. But, I mean, this 14-year-old is still a kid himself. Now, he's got the three-year-old to take care of. So one day he turns about six years old, Marco Flores, his brother brings him to a waiting vehicle with a man and a woman in the vehicle, they're strangers. And he says, get in the car, they're gonna bring you to mom. He's terrified. I can't even imagine the trauma of six years old. He gets in this car, they were coyotes come to find out. He's brought from village to village to village and he keeps getting put in a different vehicle. Finally makes his way to Mexico, somehow gets on a plane and finally gets to Boston, Massachusetts, gets reunited in East Boston with his mother. His mother was delighted to see him. It was a a great reconciliation. And the mother did all she could to make up for lost time. She was wonderful to him. So the mother now needs to make money to get the 14-year-old brother up here to the U.S. So she's working two jobs. She's cleaning like office buildings in Boston at night. But she can't find a good su- suitable babysitter. Through somebody, I don't know who, she comes upon this guy and his name was Jamie Goldemez. Come to find out they're from the same small town in El Salvador. So naturally, the mother is delighted with this revelation. She hires him to take care of Marco Flores every day after school. So they get in this routine. So time marches on. And Galdem has a shower in this kid with all kinds of gifts. It's called grooming, from what I understand. But anyway, he even brought him a beautiful new bicycle. And the mother's like, you're too good to him. You know, you're buying him all these lovely gifts. And he's like, oh, that's okay. not at all but it was crazy. One day they come in from after school and Marco Flores has been to soccer practice and he takes a shower. Now he goes to get dressed in his bedroom and he sees Jamie Galdemez in his bedroom reaching for something behind the bureau. It was a video recorder. This Jamie Galdemez is apparently secretly planting this video recorder in the bedroom. And he's filming the kid while he's dressing. And it, right from the get-go, it isn't the kid is outraged. He, it, it was awful. So they fell into this routine, as I said, and it went along like that for a while. As time goes on, you know, he really trusts Galdemez, even though he did this crazy thing with the video camera. But Galdemez starts brainwashing the kid and he starts to molest him. And he says, this is what all friends do. Um, Don't tell your mother, she'll get mad. Um, Don't go near girls, they're terrible people. Don't go near females, they're evil. And he's telling this kid, he's feeding this kid, all this garbage. Now, Flores is getting a little older. You know, he's in junior high. He gets gets interested in women, in girls, and he likes this one girl in particular, and they kind of become girlfriend and boyfriend-like. So one day, He is in a room. He thought he was home alone with this girl. And it was very innocent. They're just sitting there. And who comes storming in, in a rage of fury, is Galdemez. And he grabs Flores by the shirt and starts shaking him and yelling, whore, whore, in Spanish. Like, why are you with her? She's a whore. And he was furious. It's like he was in a jealous rage because Flores suddenly had a girlfriend. It was crazy. So- they there was kind of like there was a cooling off period. They, they, you know, weren't hanging out together. They'd see each other around the neighborhood. But, it, you know, they kind of just go their own ways. So one day he has to do a school project. Somehow or other, he was supposed to get a digital camera for this project. And he says to himself, well, Jamie Goldemez has a digital camera. I think I'll go over there and see if I can borrow it. So he goes over and he asks where the camera is. And Galdemez says, Reach inside this cabinet or wherever it was. And he pulls out the camera. But what does he spy? There's a photograph of his nine year old nephew in there sitting on Jamie's lap. And something went off in Flores' head. And he put two and two together. And he said to Galdemez, What's this picture? And Galdemez says, Oh, that's nothing. So he's fuming. And he puts two, as I said, puts two and two together, doesn't say much more than that, goes home, but he can't get the photo out of his head. He can't sleep. He knew what that photo meant.
1: More about this bizarre case coming right up with Diane Godfrey. You're listening to All Rise. At the Horse Thieves Tavern in Dedham, Massachusetts, just south of Boston, you're invited to stop by, enjoy delicious food and drink, and socialize. Now there's a concept. Horse Thieves Tavern is a modern take on a traditional New England tavern, located in historic Dedham Square, a place where locals and travelers can mix in a warm and inviting atmosphere, serving terrific hearty and healthy regional food and drinks, with an awesome takeout menu and live entertainment. It's the Horse Thieves Tavern at 585 High Street, Dedham Square, Massachusetts. For more, visit horsethevestavern.com. Stop by anytime. The Horse Thieves Tavern. You're listening to All Rise. And now, back to Diane.
0: So now, this is becoming a real problem. Flores' anger has escalated through the roof. He's not going to let this go. Flores is livid at this whole thing. This has been years and it's been building up and he's getting more angry and more angry. He goes over to Galdemez's apartment. He lets himself in. Galdemez is there watching TV. Flores sits down on a chair and he's like staring at Galdemez and he pulls out, Flores pulls out a knife and he, you know, he's just kind of flicking it around the knife and he starts with Where are the photos of my nephew? Why did you do this to me? And he's got a flip phone and he's badgering Galdemez. And he gets him on tape to admit he had sex with him. So he ends up, Flores ends up punching Galdemez and he gets him on the floor and he puts the knife to him but he doesn't stab Galdemez, he stabs something else. I can't remember. There was some other object in the room and he put the knife into it forcefully, pulls out the knife, gets up in disgust and leaves.
1: More about this bizarre case coming right up with Diane Godfrey. You're listening to All Rise. There's nothing like the aroma and taste of a freshly cut cigar and having a friendly cigar store owner in your neighborhood now that's a real treat for those cigar aficionados in the Boston area you may already know of courthouse cigars but if you're just hearing about it for the first time you will light up when you discover the variety of tobacco and cigars at courthouse cigars 366 Washington Street in the heart of Dedham Massachusetts they carry a full line of aromatic cigars for any occasion to fit any budget and it's the place to get that smoker on your list the perfect gift visit courthouse cigars at 366 washington street in Dedham, just south of boston for directions hours and more call 781-326-2400 that's 781-326-2400
0: what happens next is sunday night as i said he decides he's gonna go over and yet again confront Galdemez. So he looks for him all weekend. He isn't home though. The whole weekend he can't find him. He figures he's gone away for the weekend, but he finally catches up with him on Sunday night. This isn't going to end good. And he hatches a plan that he's going to stop anything in his head that he perceives could go down between Galdemez and his nephew. Now, think back to 10 years ago, we had flip phones. Now you wouldn't see a flip phone anywhere, but he had a flip phone, which was like, you know, the the hot cell phone of the day. He decides he's going to make a chronology of what he plans to do to stop whatever he has in his head of what's gonna happen between this nine-year-old nephew and Galdemez. And in the end, he made 15 to 17 videos. The first thing he does is he picks up the camera and he talks into it and he says, I'm gonna kill a pervert. And he holds up a dog chain, and a knife and he kind of indicates he's not sure how he's going to do it but he's going to use these two items he's going to kill this guy because he in his mind he's a pervert over the next few days he makes all these videos leading up to it he lets himself into the apartment galdemez is there and he confronts him so now once again they're face to face galdemez Is like, what is going on? What's up? What's up with you? And he says, you have a picture of my nine-year-old nephew. What's up with that? Then Flores says to him, you repeatedly raped me for years, beginning at nine years old. Why did you do that? You're not going to do it to my nephew. Well, one thing led to another. And oddly, this is what freaked me out, among other things. Flores says... You're going to die tonight. Galdemez doesn't even like try to protect himself. He acquiesces and just accepts his fate. And the whole time, Flores has his flip phone running and this whole back and forth is all recorded. Now you have to understand, Flores is a ninth grade dropout, but he's got perfect command of the English language. This whole interaction is in Spanish. So everything that Galdemez says, Flores, the 17-year-old, looks into the flip phone and like, acts as an interpreter and tells the camera everything Galdemez is saying. So weird. Yeah. He actually hands him tape and says, I want you to duct tape yourself. And <laughs> Galdemez starts to do it. But he's not doing it quick enough for Flores' likes. So Flores takes it and starts to bounce his hands and his mouth, I think. Then he walks him into the next room, into a mirror. and makes him look at himself. Flores says, look in the mirror. I see something that's a threat to my family. Look at yourself. There were people living upstairs. He never screamed. And he said, why did you rape me? And he said, because I loved you. I never meant to hurt you. I loved you. So I don't know who was more effed up in the head. Galdemez or Flores? I'm still trying to figure that one out. I'll come back to this. But when Flores was interviewed, he did say in his interview, if anything, he helped me kill him. So in other words, Galdemez accepted his fate and he actually aided Flores to commit the murder. It's like crazy. And up until the moment of the murder, the video goes dead. But right after he kills him on the bed, Then he turns the camera on. He, at one point he, on the camera, he takes a knife and puts it to Galdemez's throat. And Galdemez says, well, can you do it some other way? Like strangle me because it's going to be too bloody. So can you please strangle me? And then Flores is like, all right. So Flores says, are you ready? And Galdemez says, yes. And that's when Flores strangles him with the chain. I mean, what the, (laughs) it's (laughs) like, they ordering a pizza here? I mean, it's it, it like so crazy.
2: The average person is like, tell you anything to get you to stop doing this. He must've just wanted to die.
0: I, I can't figure it out. But he kept saying, but I loved you. I loved you. It was just so creepy in all those videos. It's, you know, what's really weird. He went to such great lengths to make these videos, but the actual murder, that one little snippet in time is not on the video, but you can see right after the murder, Flores, the 17-year-old, is sitting next to the slumped dead body of Galdemes on the bed. And he says something to the effect of into the camera. I feel like a weight has been lifted on my, off my shoulders. I feel so much better now. And then Flores douses him with lighter fluid. Doesn't light him on fire, but douses him with lighter fluid on and the he bed.
2: Strangled him with the dog chain. He like strangled him
0: with the dog chain, and the chain was still around mm-hmm. his neck when he was dead, when the camera started to roll again, when they were both on the bed. The whole thing is just so calculated and premeditated and thought out. Because when he was walking over there, he's saying into the camera, It's time for me to go over there. Today's the day. I'm gonna kill him. I gotta get going. This is what's gonna go. I mean, it was crazy.
2: I know, like you can almost—not that I—that you can ever really imagine killing someone, of it, you know, in a fit of rage, you know, like you could see how someone loses it. But the, what what pulls me away is not even that alone, the premeditation. It's like he was chronicling it, like like we were watching like a social influencer tell us how to make exactly the Alfredo. And by the way, I got my friend Galdames, he's gonna help. It's like it's, it's like a friggin' TikTok video. <laughs> but
0: I mean, I mean, it must have been very calm and very civil because the people that lived upstairs were no—they didn't hear it. They, you know, there was no struggle, no nothing. They didn't hear anything. But um, I'll, I'll just read you this from the from the um, the DA's recitation to the court during the plea colloquy. He said to the court, "This is the DA. The medical examiner conducted an autopsy. She concluded Galdeez died from forcible strangulation. That somebody had used force to shut off his airway until he died." The ME, meaning the medical examiner, did not see any hand or ligature marks on Mr. Goldemez's neck because of the burn damage to the body. But she did note damage to the tissue and cartilage and bone within his neck that she would describe as basically textbook signs of manual strangulation by either some sort of ligature or hands. His windpipe and his lungs did not contain any soot. And what that told me was that Galdemez was already dead before the fire started. So now the whole community is on edge when they find this out. But no one knows it yet because Flores steals Galdemez's computer and a few other effects. He took some other random stuff. Make sure the window stays open to the apartment. And as I said, he douses them with gasoline. And then what would you do, Len, at this point? Just go home? He goes home. It's like, oh well. And he just goes home. Light him up right away. Nope. He put the fluid on and then he left the bottle of um Kingsford charcoal lighter or whatever it was right next to the body. But he made sure to leave the window open. And there's a reason why, which I'll explain to you. In his convoluted, messed up thought process, there was a reason why he didn't light him on fire right away. I guess I could tell you now. You want me to tell you now why? Or
1: of course.
0: Fast forward, he goes home. Goes home, his mother's there, his brother's there. It's like nothing's going down, you know, out of the ordinary. Wakes up early, gets over to the basement apartment the next morning at 8 a.m. I don't think he enters, but he left that window open. And that's when he throws the lighted match, the lit match onto like, I don't know if it hit the body. They weren't sure, but he hit the, you know, the bed around it and the whole thing goes up. He said he was trying to be respectful of the two families that lived upstairs. He wanted them to get out alive and not burn. And he thought at night when he had killed Galdemez, it would have been too much of a you know, risk that they would be harmed. So he waited the next day till it was total daylight. They would be up and not sleeping so they could leave a burning building quickly. That's what he told the police. Are you kidding me? That thing is fraught with what could go wrong. I mean, I don't know. That, that's just how this dude thought. So now it's like a whodunit everyone's like, what is going on here? We found this body. It's all wrapped up. I mean, what the heck is going on? There's so many strange things to the story. But anyway, Flora is a 17 year old. Two days later, enters the, the local police department in East Boston and fesses up. He's with like a family member and he wants to talk to the cops. And he said, guess what I did? And he tells the whole thing. And then he says, I videoed basically this whole thing. If you want to go to my house, the videos are on this flip phone, and this is where it is. The police went to Flores's home, and they found the videos exactly where Flores said the police would find the videos. Now, I ask you, cray-cray, cray-cray. Of course. I was chilled to the bone. He's standing there. You want to hear the best? He was very polite when he was pleading out. And he didn't, he looked like an altar boy. It looked like he was not capable. But also, when this whole thing came to light, He had an enormous amount of support from community members. Um, When he took that plea, there were a ton of people in the back of that courtroom that were in his corner. People were saying that, like, you know, he killed a pervert. He, He shouldn't do a day in jail. But, you know, you can't give a pass to somebody. You can't just say, go kill someone. It's cool. I mean, you just you can't. You have to be accountable. So that's it? That was the end of him? No, that wasn't the end of him. So now he's at the police station. So now they find out who did it. He goes to jail and now he's waiting in jail for his supposed trial, which ended up, as I told you, didn't end up being a trial because he pled out. And if you don't know what that is, all you do is you stand before a judge in open court after you've taken an oath to tell the truth and you admit to what you're accused of and that's what he did. So there were mitigating circumstances. You know, I'd just like to point out that just prior to the sentence being imposed, Flores' defense attorney spoke on his behalf, as is normal. That happens all the time in pleas. But his defense attorney got up, and he said something very interesting to the judge, that had this case gone to trial the defense would have offered up expert testimony that Mr. Flores had been a victim of the batted person statute. He said that Mr. Flores suffered in silence for years and finding that photo of his nephew was the straw that broke the camel's back. He, at first he was charged with first degree murder and then it went down to voluntary manslaughter. But of course he got charged with arson, hello. And I think he got, he had three, he had three indictments against him, which he pled guilty to because of his age, he was 17. I think that saved his ass. He had no criminal activity on his, I mean, there was nothing. He was squeaky clean prior to this. So that was another thing because he pled. The Commonwealth gave him a little bit of a deal. But the thing is, when he was in jail, get this. Are you ready for this? I don't know. He's, (laughs) He's in the Nashville Street Jail, right near the Boston Garden, right near the court. He's in there. He's got a roommate. Well, What would you do if you were in jail with time on your hands?
2: Uh, Lift weights, do push-ups.
0: Devise a plan to get the hell out of there to break out. So so he and this, I don't know who he was, his cellmate, they decide they're going to break out. And, you know, I must say it was ingenious what they did. They devised some sort of a pulley system. And over a period of time, the bars like stretched apart, like you know, got wider so they could fit like their bodies through. And they took some part of a table that was in the cell. They referred to it as a butcher block top of a table. And they are successful in breaking the two double panes of glass that go to the outside from a cell. So they broke those. And then they had taken bedsheets and, you know, tied one after the other after the other. So they could like put it out the window to shimmy down the side of the building. Can you imagine in downtown Boston, you're walking by Nashua Street Jail and you see these jokers like on a bedsheet on the side of the building? I mean, really? They might have gotten away with it, but they tried this escape in the middle of a work day, in the middle of a work work week. To me, maybe I don't think like a criminal, but I'd do it like in the middle of the night, wouldn't you? I don't know.
2: I mean, if anyone doesn't know Nashville Street Jail, it's it's not it's exactly not remote. inconspicuous. There's,
0: there's traffic going by the whole time. Foot traffic. <laughs> Can you imagine if you think you were seeing things?
2: You look up and there's some guy dangling from the side. You'd be like,
0: You'd what think the he... heck is that?
2: It was the window washer. You know how yeah, sometimes exactly. you see the window washers? Yeah, you would never. Expect, but then you're like, isn't that the jail? You know how we got caught? How they got caught? Well, I imagine someone saw A couple huh? of
0: floors down, someone's like in an office and sees like this debris going by the window. It's like, what's that? T- come to find out it was all the broken glass from, the, you know, from the break in the, the window panes. They must have used some strength, too. And this was a little guy. I mean, this guy was a pint of peanuts. Look at it. he was capable of killing that guy with a chain. Next thing you know, he, you know, almost breaks out of his cell. So anyway, they get caught and they blame each other, of course. So. He finally, you know, comes to terms with it and he says, yeah, I right, did it. Well, they tacked on time for attempting to escape. Those were the three indictments. The arson, the you know, trying to escape from the jail and voluntary manslaughter, killing Galdemar. So he's got those three. Now you figure he's 17, right? He's a baby. He's going to be out when he's 32 years old. Think about that. Because the time that he was in the jail, they give you credit towards your case. So if you wait in jail, like, I think he waited like 700 and something days before this case was disposed of. Those days get credited towards your 15 years to serve.
2: You know, so, you know, this guy basically, he didn't get away with murder, but he came pretty damn close. And so he's going to be be a young man, 32
0: years old, but he's going to likely be deported because he's not an American citizen. He's El Salvadorian. And I do see from the transcript, I printed it out. It was like 48 pages. He was credited with 727 days. He served awaiting disposition of the case. So, you know, he's got his whole life ahead of him, although we'll be in El Salvador. So
2: how many years? They
0: gave him 15, gave him 15 years, years, but then 15 years probation after. So he has to check in on a regular basis in 15 years, for 15 years. So
2: wait, when was this that he that he got it? So he... 2011. Years 2000, so he's getting yeah, out. He'll be,
0: I would say so, roughly, yeah. But, you know, he was he Flores was quoted after this whole thing, and he said, quote, killing someone is never worth it, but I don't feel bad for him. I feel like he was a very bad person. It's not like he tried to seek help. He chose to do it. I'm not saying I don't have remorse, but I don't feel sad for him passing away. You know, when they looked on his um, on his on the decedent, the guy that was murdered, when they looked on his computer, he was a straight-up pedophile. I mean, he had a picture of Flores when he was a young kid and he put, he, he had a thing underneath it and said he was beautiful back then. And then there were, um, he had this, this galdamez had all kinds of pictures of young boys and he was saying in under the pictures like, these are coming up next. So, I mean, he was a really dangerous, bad person.
2: Last thing I'd say is, the whole thing, it's, it's bizarre and it's definitely entertaining, but, you know, even galdomez I mean, something happened to him, you know, it, it's something messes people up like that. So he was probably an abused guy too. It just kind of never ends. I mean, hopefully this guy can get out and whatever happens to him. If he goes back to El Salvador, you know, hopefully he can make a a life.
0: I just remember when he was given the plea and they outlined what had happened to him as he was a victim, starting at age nine, and it stopped when he hit puberty. Um, he was fighting back tears. I mean, he really got messed up. He was a real victim. So, you know, that's one of the craziest murder cases that came across our courtroom in a long time, I thought. Just the fact that he was talking into that camera. He was, you know, translating everything. He was, you know, having a conversation with him before he killed him, how he was going to do it. The whole thing was
2: nuts. Well, it is nuts, and it's just another day at the job. But thanks for sharing it. It, it's, It's fascinating. Thank you. Well, my pleasure.
1: Before we close the courtroom door on this podcast, we remind you that All Rise with Diane Godfrey is available on all podcast platforms. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast. You've been listening to All Rise with Diane Godfrey, true stories from inside the courthouse, from the lady who wrote everything down, Case dismissed.